Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York, some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, folks. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and I'll tell you, it breaks my heart to be introducing this special episode today. We decided to postpone the episode that we had scheduled to go up today because someone very dear to the comedy and storytelling scenes in New York and Los Angeles is no longer with us. Kenny DeForest was one of the sweetest, most down-to-earth, most genuine guys. He was known for being thoughtful and supportive of other performers especially those that were different in any way. For a long time, you know, the comedy world felt like a boys club to a lot of people, still does in a lot of ways. So it really made an impression when someone as open-hearted and as real as Kenny was would celebrate folks in the community, you know, of different races, genders, sexual orientations, and so on. Kenny told a classic story on Risk in 2015 called Mantra. And to this day, Risk fans quote that story. When I got into Taoism a few years after he shared that story on the show. I re-listened to it because it just kept echoing in my head. <laughs> Appropriately enough, the story's called Mantra. And then very recently, Kenny asked Risk if we could run a story from his new comedy special, his brand new comedy special. 
and we were just about to run it in January, you know, right after our winter holidays programming that we've got coming up. However, several days ago, Kenny was riding his bike in Brooklyn and he was hit by a car and he suffered severe brain injury. And for several days there, we all thought he was going to pull through. Now, both JC and I were able to visit Kenny in the hospital, obviously not conscious at all, but he appeared, just, just appeared from the outside to be in stable enough shape to pull through. But in fact, it was just machines keeping him alive at that point. The GoFundMe page set up for Kenny is where the community learned that he chose to donate his organs. And so while I'm recording this announcement, I think that now that has already happened also. I'm fairly certain, by the way, that that GoFundMe will become a memorial fund for charitable purposes also. So if you look on GoFundMe for Kenny DeForest's recovery, you can find it. So on behalf of all of us here at risk, we pray for Kenny and for all of his loved ones. Kenny, rest in peace. Now, Kenny's new special on YouTube is called Don't You Know Who I Am? The whole thing is wonderful, so I highly recommend you check it out. The story we're including here today from it is called On Karma. But before that, we're going to hear the story that Kenny first shared on Risk. So here is Kenny DeForest now with a story we call Mantra. So, a little bit about my background before we get to the story. I, uh, I grew up in South Missouri in the Bible Belt, and uh, there was two things I really cared about as a kid. That was uh, my religion and basketball. That's what I did. I played basketball, and I cared about religion. That's what I did, and that's all I believed in. I didn't think about the future. I was focused on that my entire life. I played two years of college basketball as a walk-on, hurt my knees, I was out. And when I was in college, I started to question my religion. I started to have questions about it. Like, you know, is that even possible that there's like a guy just watching all of this? <laughs> Doesn't really add up. 9-11 had happened, I was like, explain that shit. Uh, so I started questioning my religion and really eventually shed it. Basketball was over and now I was left with a void. There was no God, no basketball. <laughs> the fuck am I gonna do? I don't know where to turn for answers. That's when I discovered drugs. <laughs> I believe in omens. And that's my spirituality. I believe in omens. I do think the universe speaks to us. Whatever the universe is, I believe it speaks to us. 
And I believe it only speaks to us whenever we're looking for it. And there's really no better way to tell the universe you're looking for answers than to take drugs. Uh, it's literally like, all right, I'm looking now. You can go ahead and show me. As you can tell by the mushrooms I ingested, I am very interested in what you have to say now. So this story takes place, I was 26, I'm 29 now, this was three years ago, I was having a quarter life crisis. Now, I had taken mushrooms before, I had had one profound trip before the one I'm about to tell you about, and it actually led me, it was after college, I backpacked Europe after college because I'm a white person and it's what we do. <laughs> Backpacking Europe is birthright for Gentiles. Uh, we go to Europe, we get in touch with our heritage. <laughs> so I got a degree in finance and economics. I did it to please my parents. They wanted me to go to school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. All of a sudden, I'm a graduate. I still have no idea what I want to do. I have all these job offers in finance. I'm backpacking Europe. I know all I care about is making people laugh. It's the only thing I've ever cared about, but it's not practical. Who has a college degree from a private liberal arts school? becomes a comedian. What a slap in my parents' face. Who I love. <laughs> but I had taken mushrooms in Amsterdam in a field, in a meadow. <laughs> and I had seen what's important in life. And the opposite of what's important in life is a finance bro. That is the opposite. <laughs> if I could draw for you... <laughs> if you told me, Kenny, please sketch who doesn't get it? I would draw a finance bro. Just with a Coke ring on his nose. <laughs> so I decided to be a comedian and I moved to Chicago, actually living with a person I met the day after the mushroom trip in Amsterdam. I lived with that person for six months in Chicago pursuing comedy. I did that for about three years and I was feeling okay about my path, but then I hit another crisis, you know? The question kept hitting me. Are you ever gonna grow up? Are you an adult? And this was the big question. Are you running towards something or are you running away from something? Which one is it? Why are you a comedian? Are you just an attention-starved egomaniac that needs external validation to feel happy? What is this? What is this compulsion that makes you content being completely broke in your 20s with no relationships to speak of and all you have is a fucking notebook with dumb observations and jokes in it? What is this? And I started feeling like I was disappointing my family and my parents because there's a stigma with comedians that we're all fucked up and we were diddled when we were younger and we had bad parents that didn't care about us and didn't pay attention to. I had great parents, they were the best. So I was wondering, what the fuck am I, what am I doing? So I got back from a trip home. I was talking to my friends and we were like, man, we were, I was talking to another buddy of mine, similar background, and we had the same concerns. And we were like, you know what? I think I have a solution. We're going to Bonnaroo. And I'd never been to a music festival before, man. And I was excited, we bought our tickets. And we're both comedians. 
Actually, there was three of us, but two of us decided to go. A third friend joined us, all three comedians, all doing comedy about the same amount of time. And we were like, you know what? Let's just go down there and fucking lose ourselves in the festival. We'll do some drugs. We'll hit the reset button. We'll tell the universe we're looking for answers. <laughs> so we get to Bonnaroo. We're hanging out. And if you've ever been to a music festival, it's amazing because it's literally tens of thousands of people all simultaneously having the best weekend they've had that year. <laughs> it's just imagine if New York City, but everyone's in a good mood. <laughs> That's what it is. It's just everyone's like, yes! It's infectious. So I'm looking for answers. Why do I want to do comedy? I knew I had something to say, but that's hard to do. It's hard to stand in front of people and be like, this is how I feel about shit. It's a hard thing to do. It's easier to be like, my dick's weird, LOL, you know? <laughs> but that's not the kind of comedy I wanted to do. I wasn't happy with the way the world was. I mean, you look around, this shit is a fucking shit storm and everyone pretends it isn't. And it's hard to be the one that says, isn't this a fucking shit storm? But I knew I wanted to do that. Just didn't know how to fucking do it. So we get to Bonnaroo, and we decide to take mushrooms on the first day. So we get our mushrooms, we eat them, we get into the park, and immediately we're like, that was too many mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> this was an uncomfortable amount of mushrooms. <laughs> there is a lot of people here. <laughs> Holy shit. So we're in a pretty much collective panic. <laughs> and we're looking to find a band called Tune Yards. That's who we wanted to see that day, because she's amazing, her band's awesome. We're looking, we, don't even, we can't read maps. We're just like. <laughs> <sighs> so we're just wandering around. We're like, God damn it, I don't know. So suddenly we just hear some music and we're like, great, this'll work, park it. And we just sit down. Like, ah, oh, thank goodness. Some music. So we're listening to some reggae band from North Carolina that I've never heard of. This was probably their big break. They were on a side stage. They weren't even advertised on the poster. It was pretty much like the open micer version of bands. But they were incredible, right? And I'm just like grooving to it. Now, what you need to know about me, another thing, is my whole life I've been a gigantic worrier. I'm always in my head, and I've been very concerned about what people think about me. Very obsessively concerned. I would buy a new shirt and be like, what do you think of this shirt? What do you think of this shirt? Do you like the shirt? Should I get a new shirt? Would a different shirt make you like me more? How should we do this? It affected my basketball playing. It affected everything in my life. My comedy, I was very robotic on stage. I would just look at my set list, hold the mic like this, and just, like crinkle my lips nervously and like haphazardly deliver decently written jokes, but with no passion. I've always just been a complete worrier and I've always liked to be in control because I don't want to be let down. I'm always like, I got, I'm the, <laughs> when you're on mushrooms, you can't do that, you know? <laughs> so these mushrooms are just really hitting and I'm just kind of like, I don't, I gotta just don't get crazy now. And all of a sudden I'm listening to this band I've never heard of and I just, I'm thinking about comedy and I'm like, I want answers and what kind of comedian, why am I, are my parents disappointed? What is that? And all of a sudden I just start to hear a phrase in my head over and over again. It just goes, let it, let it, let it, let it, let it, let it, let it. 
let it. Let it. I'm like, what? Let what? Let it. Let it. Let it. So all of a sudden I just go. And I lay down. Let it. Let it. And I feel my anxiety go away. Just let it. Just let it. You're fine. Just let it. Let it. Let it. I open my eyes. I'm looking up at the clouds. All of a sudden I see a face in the clouds. It's a female face. But I immediately knew that it was God, but I don't say God. So all of a sudden, it. Oh, you're it. Let it. Let you. Let it. Let it. Oh, you're, okay. Let it. You're here for, uh, okay. Let it. And I started thinking, I see my parents in the clouds, and they're smiling. Like, we love you, idiot. Quit worrying about what we think. Okay. <laughs> Let it. Let it. And I start to realize as I'm listening to this obscure band from North Carolina that's at Bonnaroo, at the same Bonnaroo with Red Hot Chili Peppers and The Roots and D'Angelo and all these huge name acts. I'm like, man, these guys are really just as entertaining as those other bands. And I start to think about it. I'm like, you know, let it. They're just letting it. No one makes music. Humans don't create music. They let music. No one sits down with a guitar and makes music. You ever see someone with a guitar solo? No one's not doing something. They're letting something. You can't make your fingers move like that. We're fucking dumb apes. <laughs> we don't have that ability. We're monkeys that evolves. We can't just, I know what that'll sound like. You're letting that happen. And I start to realize, let it, let it. Every band here has the same energy flowing through them. And it's her. And they're just letting it happen. And they're just having fun. <sighs> let it. Let it. I just started to feel this peace. And then I was thinking even further, all right, what do I want to say? How do I want to change the world? What's my contribution going to be? What do I have to say into a microphone to make society realize what we need to do? Because I'm part of a generation that was handed a shit sandwich. And we gotta put the pieces together. How are we gonna do this? Be it. Be it. Be it. Let it. Be it. Let it. But also be it. Be what? It. That thing you saw. The thing that's flowing through all the bands here. You have it. Just let it and be it. That's all you gotta do. Just let it. And be it, it's in you. You've been funny your whole life. What are you so worried about? Why are you so convinced that you're not funny? All you've done your whole life is make people laugh. Why are you writing this shit down and having sweaty panic attacks before every set you have? You're funny. Just be it. Fuck your set list. Fuck your stupid jokes. Grab a microphone, be funny till you get the light. Let it come through you. Believe it, be it. <sighs> so I sit up. <laughs> And I look at my friends like, oh. <laughs> and my buddy goes, what? And I go, let it be it, let it be it, let it be it, let it be it. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I go, pen and paper. So I write out, let it, and then above the it, I write be. So let it be it, let it be it. And I turn it to him and he goes, oh my God. 
And I go, do you get it? He goes, let it be it! I go, oh! oh. <laughs> That's how I know we both have the same energy flowing through us! <laughs> so we get up, and we're gonna go, we're trying to find tune yards, but we're still too fucked up. My friends are still not in a good place. I now feel like I understand everything. So I'm like, don't worry guys, this group now has a leader. <laughs> Follow me! So we just take off walking. I've never walked so musically in my life. I was like swaying just past people, but like it was a dance, like never touching anyone, just through swaths of people. My friends are behind me, they're starting to freak out. My friend starts to have like a too high mushroom peak and I go, you know what? This is the place. And as soon as we sit down, this song starts to play. So that was Tune Yards. We had found the stage. And I've never felt more at peace with who I am as a person or what I believe. Because I had gone through all of that, sat my friends down. Not only did we find the band, but we found the band that was telling us that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> everything's going to be all right, as long as we let it be it. And that's my wrist tattoo that I got as soon as I got home. <laughs> to remind myself every day what I believe in. Thank you guys so much. This actually happened to me over COVID. I'm going to tell this story, but before I start, I want to ask if you guys believe in karma. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, as a spiritual person, I, I, I want to believe in karma, but as a white person, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to believe in it. it just, Something about it just helps life make sense. Good people get good things, bad people get good things. But sometimes it feels like it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like Jeff Bezos just gets to go to space now. Like, what's that? Doesn't feel like karma. Unless he's on the Challenger or something, but. It's a billionaire in space. I don't know how much more you want me to punch up. Um, the highest punch I can throw. I don't know what you want from me. But I finally experienced karma. I now firmly believe. Because I experienced it, man. So during the pandemic, I ran out of money. And I ran out of money because I do this for money. And <laughs> the government shut it down. They called me, the CDC. I was like, Kenny, you gotta stop. I was like, why? Like, well, what is laughter if not the cough of the soul? And, <laughs> It's like, are you going to make all the comics stop? They're like, no, some of them suck. They can keep going. And um, <laughs> you can stay home. So I don't know if you know how money works, but if you have to continue to spend money to stay alive, but you're not making any money, eventually you run out of it. I was looking at my bank account one day, and I saw that I had negative $7 which is not a lot of money to have. Um, in fact, it's actually less than I even thought was possible to have. I thought, 
zero was the least amount of money you could have. But Chase Bank was like, you actually owe us seven. And I was like, well, I'm not sure why you let me spend that, but that feels like your fault. So good luck. Good luck with that seven, J.P. Morgan. You can pry it from my cold, dead hands. And they will. Um, Negative $7, man. Saw it on my bank account. I'll be honest, I felt a panic attack coming on. I felt that it started here, started moving up into my throat. And right as it started to break, all of a sudden, my college roommate, no explanation, Venmoed me $500. It was insane. I have no money. Ah, $500. I was blown away. I called him. I was like, how... How did you know I needed money? Did I pocket dial you? Did you hear me weeping? (laughs) That's not why, it turns out. It turns out the reason he did it is because when we were in college, we went on a road trip together for spring break. And we were driving from Springfield, Missouri to South Padre Island, Texas, because we had seen MTV. (laughs) We heard Vanilla Ice was playing that year. We wanted to check out Vanilla Ice before he's dead. And this was 2008, believe it or not, still alive, Vanilla Ice. We had way more time than we thought. Did see Vanilla Ice, by the way. Greatest concert I've ever seen in my life. He played three songs. Two of them were Ice Ice Baby. And the third was the theme song from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. That is both the title of the song and all of the lyrics. So, (laughs) But the reason he Venmoed me the money, before we left, so I played two years of college basketball, blew my knees out, started smoking weed immediately. Never smoked weed before, blew up my knees, started smoking weed immediately. Beard grew in in a week. I've looked like this ever since. (laughs) The guy with me uh, was a scholarship ball player at our school. He was our starting center. And before we left, he was like, hey, man, I've never smoked weed before. I think I want to try it on spring break. Can you get us some weed? And I was like, mm, of course I can. <laughs> so I got us a quarter of weed. I got us a pipe. We're driving to Texas, get pulled over in Oklahoma. Cop comes to the car and goes, you boys look like you're off to have a good time. I was like, I feel like that's about to change. <laughs> I started searching around. Eventually, he came back around. He said, I'd like to search your vehicle for drugs. Now, I've listened to enough Jay-Z to know. (laughs) You don't let a cop do that without a warrant. I got 99 problems, but not knowing that is not one of them. (laughs) So he said, I'd like to search your vehicle for drugs. I said, no. I'd like to search your vehicle for drugs. I said, no. I'd like to search your vehicle for drugs. I said, no, I know my rights. Now, here's the problem with that. I do not know my rights. I was... I was bluffing, and he called it. He was like, oh, really? What are your rights then? I was like, oh, boy. Uh, to party, I think, is one of them, but you got to fight for that one. Put him up. And um, to remain silent, I believe, he was like, not yet. And um, so he was like, I got a drug dog back there. I'm going to get the drug dog, let it sniff around your car. If it barks, it gives me probable cause to search your vehicle. I decided to call his bluff. I was like, drug dog? What is this, McGruff? He wasn't bluffing, he had a real dog. <laughs> Trying to smell real drugs. Before he went, he, looked, he leaned in the window, he goes, last chance, if you're honest with me now, I'll go easy on you later. I was like, is that a sexual threat? Because <laughs> I've heard things about you guys. <laughs> so he went to get the dog, 
And this was the first time I checked in with my friend. I looked over and he was freaking out, man. He was sitting in the passenger seat. He was just like white knuckling the center console. He was like shaking, he was sweating. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh my God, his scholarship's on the line. You know what I mean? Like if he gets busted for weed, they're gonna take his scholarship away. And I'd met his family. They were sweet, conservative Christian folks from the South. I was like, they're not gonna understand their baby boy smoking weed. My parents are old hippies. I've smoked weed with my dad. You know what I mean? I was like, I got the best chance getting out of this unscathed. So I grabbed the weed, I grabbed the pipe, I said, officer, come here, I have something to show you. It's a quarter of weed and a pipe, and I want you to know that it is all mine. This man knows nothing about it because I've been hiding it from him because I am ashamed of who I've become. (laughs) So he got me out of the car, cuffed me, took me back to his car, started writing me tickets, two tickets. As he's writing the tickets, he looked at me and said, you know, it's really cool what you're doing for your friend up there. And I said, you know, you're either cool or a cop, pick a team. And... uh, (laughs) I didn't say that, come on. I'm not that cool. What I really said was something like, yes, sir, anything for the boys in blue, but. <laughs> so he wrote me two tickets, each for $500. One was for possession of marijuana, one was for possession of paraphernalia. Each ticket had the same date on it and the same address. Handed me the tickets, he goes, this is uh, your court date, this is the address of the courthouse. Now, here's the thing, if you mail a check for this amount of money to this address by this date, this all goes away. You'll never have to appear in court, it won't go on your record, it'll be like it never happened. And I was like, you mean like blackmail? He was like, pretty similar. And uh, <laughs> so it's a good system we got here, you know? And I don't wanna brag, but I did have $1,000 at that time, you guys. I've been working at Ruby Tuesday, saving for just an occasion. Keeping that salad bar tight as fuck. And so I mailed a check for $1,000 to that address by that date. Lo and behold, went away. Never went to court. Never went on my record. It was like it never happened. It was almost like I'm white. And, um... (laughs) So I moved on with my life. Went to Texas, had a great time. Never thought about it again. Fast forward 13 years later, the man in that car has gone on to become a singer-songwriter. And for years he struggled, man, barely made any money, just had enough for gas and to pay his band. But right before COVID, he signed a record deal, and for the first time in his life, he had money. And he was remembering that time in college, his old friend Kenny jumped on that grenade for him, and he remembered he never paid me for his half of the ticket. So without asking me, he Venmoed me $500 and it came to me when I needed it the most and picked me up out of a jam. And it felt like my good karma coming back through time to pick me up, you know? And I feel like the moral of the story, if there is one, is this. I've heard it said that snitches get stitches. And I like that saying. No one likes a tattletale. We've learned a lot about kids, you know what I mean? Kids don't respond well to negative reinforcement. They respond much better to positive reinforcement, which is why I think we should stop telling kids that snitches get stitches and start telling kids that not snitches get Venmoed $500. (laughs) Because it pays to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) 